Here at Doxedo Hatfield, we are a family on mission. Make sure to get connected by joining us at one of our Sunday services. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Good stuff. So can you please open up your Bible with me to the Old Testament first half of your Bible? There's a book called Jeremiah. The prophet Jeremiah chapter 29. And for any Bible nerds out there, if you've hung around in Christian spaces, no, we're not going to read everyone's favorite out of context life verse in verse 11. I just see the Bible people are laughing. The rest are like, what, what is this? I don't know what we're saying. We're going to take a bit of a different route. But as we are doing that, friends, today we're celebrating, as we have done this week, it's Heritage Sunday. And this day in the South African context is a day where we celebrate the diversity of culture that we have in this incredible country that belongs to all of its people together. So there's something beautiful, something in our hearts should be stirred as South Africans in this time to appreciate the color and the texture and the beauty and the excitement that some of us are boisterous and we are excited and some of us are pretty calm and collected and that's what makes up our country. So there's a beauty to our unity in our diversity. But yet at the very same time, I can be honest and speak maybe on behalf of all of us when I say that yes, even though our country has such a beauty to it, our country is also facing some stern challenges. Amen? Just testing the amens. Can we just try that again? Amen? Amen. All right. Just checking if you're alive. Please speak to me. Carla, you can really speak to me. Like, it's not, it's not that I lack confidence. Like, you can be dead quiet and I'll keep on preaching. But I think it's good for your spirit to respond to what is happening. All right? And you need your body for that. We have not been created as like these ethereal spirits that live in a body for a season. The Bible says we are holistically put together. So my mind needs my body. My body needs my spirit and vice versa. All right, Taiki? So I'm going to ask you to amen every now and then. All right. Great. Beautiful. So our country is actually facing a couple of challenges. The past of our country has some really dark, checkered moments. The present is something that really distresses some people. And therefore, our potential future is something that really is putting burdens on people. They've got question marks in their hearts. Just recently, I was reading Douglas Foster's book, The Struggle for Freedom in a Post-Apartheid South Africa, and he speaks about the specific moment where our second democratic president, President Thabo Mbeki, he was in a moment of having to wrestle with, with, you know, basically things we've never seen on the continent all coming together. Listen to what it says. Africa was the only place on the globe where advanced capitalism, the AIDS epidemic, and political freedom rushed through the door together. And listen to this question. Could the idea of a rainbow people creating a rainbow nation survive the pressure? Could we survive the pressure? And here's the thing, friends. If you're a Christ follower here today, I don't make that assumption. But if you are a Christian here today, I want us to see that we are not Christians in a vacuum up in the air somewhere. We are placed as Christians in this context. The question in which this context is being asked, that's where we are to function in our faith. We are not American Christians. We are not Russian Christians. We're not Christians in Finland. I know some of you feel you are called as a Christian to the Maldives and to go and suffer for the gospel there on those pearly white beaches. I know, I know that's the calling of God upon our lives. But friends, for most of us, this is the context that we have been called to. We are called to be Christians, Christ followers in South Africa in this time, in this season, on this continent. That's the calling of God upon our hearts. And on Heritage Day, as we celebrate that unity and the colorfulness of our country, guess what, church? 
If you're a Christian here, we are not simply called to exist peacefully together. Yes, that's beautiful, but we have an even greater calling. We have a calling to bring truth and grace and justice and hope. We have a calling to bring the beauty of the good news gospel to this country exactly where we are, to reach the lost, to heal the pain, and to restore what's broken in this context. That is our calling. And so the question about surviving, will we survive this? God has a different way of looking at it. I've not called my people to simply survive in South Africa. I have a greater calling upon them. So yes, our country has some challenges, but do we realize that there is a spiritual, as we speak about heritage, there's a spiritual heritage in this country that I promise you no other country in the world can match. There is spiritual gold in the soil of this country that God is saying, I am inviting you to come and find that in your heart in 2021 again. Amen? So how do we get there? What does it mean for you as a Christian to posture yourself in such a way to say, God, I'm not simply going to survive in this season, but I want to be part of that spiritual heritage. And I want us to see Jeremiah, I think for generations has spoken to this issue and I think today speaks to us again. So just to bring us up to speed, Jeremiah 29, God has been journeying with the people of Israel in the Old Testament narrative And he wants to bring blessing to the whole of mankind through this chosen people. But at this stage, they are so filled with rebellion and brokenness and and wanting to worship themselves in their own ways that God leaves them for a season to their own devices. And that causes the country, the people, to basically break into two. So you have the northern, basically, kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And each has their own capital city. And then we see this Jeremiah, the prophet, He lives basically in the final days, the final season of the southern kingdom of Judah. Because in 588 before Christ, so that's half a millennium before Jesus is born, this tyrant king, this empire in Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, they come and they overthrow, they forcefully break apart this country, they enslave its people, and in two different moments, first they take all the young professionals over, that's the narrative of Daniel, and then in a second moment, they take all the people in slavery to this place called Babylon. So imagine that, we're asking God, the good, the bad, and the ugly of our country, and it's COVID, and it's politics, and it's, you know, it's the economy, and people are immigrating, and people are dying, and people are starving. We've got all these questions. There have been many times where the people of God have had questions, Lord, what are you doing? Where are you? And listen to, as Jeremiah, I believe the Holy Spirit inspires him to speak to the people in captivity, and listen to what he says to them. Verse 4. This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles that I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Find wives for yourselves and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. In other words, what? Multiply there. Do not decrease. Verse 7, so key, pursue the well-being of the city that I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. Can you imagine 
the prophet's words falling on thousands of desperate hearts, waiting to hear, I am going to rescue you from Babylon. This evil country, this evil place, this evil time, my people must go. And God says, no, no, no. I am not going to take you out of Babylon into my kingdom. I am going to bring my kingdom into Babylon itself. You have not been dropped here, people of God. You have been placed here. And for what end? I think verse 7, that's the most. Circle, underline, highlight this key word. Verse 7 says, pursue the what? The well-being of your city. Pursue the well-being of your city. It's the Hebrew word shalom. And it's one of those words that people, you know, we just kind of throw it around, sometimes comically, sometimes in, in, I guess, uncertainty as to what it means. Shay and I, we've been watching the series lately, and in it, there's this Jewish guy who, who comes across very self-righteously, but meanwhile, back at the ranch, he's stabbing everyone in the back. So he's very self-righteously, walks around, and he greets everyone like this, shalom, you know, shalom, shalom. But then in the meantime, he's this really not great dude. Or maybe we think it's like, you know, the 70s, the hippie movement. It's like, oh, peace, peace, my friend, peace, brother, peace, sister. That's like what shalom, you know, we just need to bring more peace to our country. But I want to tell you that, yes, shalom includes peace, but it's so much more. There is so much more that God says we have to pursue for South Africa and for the city of Tuane. Because shalom, yes, means peace, but it means safety. It means prosperity. It means well-being. It means intactness. It means wholeness. And God says, you know what the focus of my advancing kingdom is in 2021? Do you know what it is that my kingdom is going to accomplish? What I want you to pursue, it's the wholeness, the shalom of this country. I'm calling you to realize that my kingdom is not coming through airplanes and bombs and takeovers and top-down structures of government. It's coming from the ground up in this thing called love and truth and grace and justice and hope. I have a kingdom that is advancing. And God is saying, guess what, Christian? I am inviting you into this journey. I'm inviting you to join me in the pursuit of shalom in this city and in this country, in this season, space, and place. And therefore, we don't have to beg. Do you realize that? We don't have to beg God. Oh, God, please let your kingdom come, Lord. Please come and do something in South Africa, Lord. Please, will you just... No. Jesus, with that context of we are actually invited by God into this. We're not inviting Him. We're not strong-arming Him to have a vision for the city and this country. He's inviting us into His vision. And it's in that context that Jesus prays, Matthew 16, so famously what? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in Tswane as it is in heaven, in South Africa as it is in heaven. So do you hear me today, whether you are in high school, if you're a student, empty nester, young adult, if you are five or 55, if you're in diapers or back in diapers, do you realize that God, that's just a joke, God has called you. You have a mandate, you have a mission, you have a path, and it's not just going to church on a Sunday morning. You have a calling from your maker and father, from your redeemer and perfected to say, I am inviting you into this advancing kingdom of love, truth, grace, and justice. I'm not going to take you out of Babylon. 
I'm going to bring my kingdom to it through you. We are going to reach the lost. We're going to heal the pain and restore what's broken. Shalom will come through my people. So what does that look like? What does it mean for us? How do we posture ourselves so that I can use my life and we can collectively as a church do the same? And Jeremiah says just two things. He says, you need firstly a purpose. Do you have purpose in your life? And secondly, you need a conviction. Conviction is stronger than decision. It's stronger than a passing thought. It's stronger than that weekend commitment to going to the gym. It's a strong life conviction. It's not, you know, what I do only, but why I do it. Can we look at those two things just really quickly in the scriptures? Number one, Jeremiah says, you need a purpose for your life. And you'll see this verse is actually, it's written poetically. So if you think about it in four parts, A, B, C, and D, A and C go together, and B and D are written to go together. So first up, he says, you need a purpose. And what is that? Read the verse again. Pursue the well-being of the city. And how do you do that? Pray to the Lord on its behalf. Your purpose is one of pursuit and prayer. Pursuit and pray, your kingdom come. Friends, hear me now. The greatest issue that we can happen upon as Christians is that our lives look basically exactly the same as our friends, neighbors, and colleagues who don't yet know Jesus, but we just have some Christians, you know, Christianese just sprinkled over it, some Christian language, some Christian rhythms. I've got a Christmas service that I attend once a year, but other than that, my life is basically a copy and paste from people who do not yet know Jesus. And so therefore, I pursue exactly the same purposes, the same outcomes, the same dreams and desires. My spending looks the same. My dreaming looks the same. My heart looks the same. My sexuality, my finances, my, my parenting, all of it's the same. I just go to a building on a Sunday once a week. God says, that is not what I have for you. I have a purpose for you, that your life would not be anything less than, yes, having a, maybe an eight to five or raising kids or coming through up in your, in your studies or, or working really hard where you are at school. But he says those things are simply platforms for a greater purpose, that those things, my, my spending and my finances and my sexuality and my job and the friends that I have and the colleagues, the, you know, the circles of influence, all those things would become channels of God's purpose. All those things would be marshaled like an army to say, God, this is what you've given me in this season. I'm going to marshal these things like an army towards your purpose in my life. I have a purpose in this season. In fact, Jeremiah goes so far, he says that your well-being and the city's well-being has been intertwined with one another. Did you see that? He says the city's well-being, South Africa's well-being and your spiritual well-being are interconnected with one another. You have to pursue and pray with purpose for the well-being of this country. We can't just wait to be taken up somewhere. We're saying, no, God, plant my feet for this country, for this city here and now. We have a purpose. And how do we do that? If I'm saying, listen, every part of my life is a channel for God's kingdom to come through into this city, into this country. Maybe he's saying, so the kingdom, what? That's like, that's so vague. <laughs> like, I'm living for the kingdom. Now what? 
Like, who knows what that even means? So doxa is, you know, for many years, we've gone and we've broken the kingdom into three broad categories. What would it look like if the kingdom broke into this city through your life? And we're saying three things, spiritual lostness, social pain, and systemic brokenness. Spiritual lostness, social pain, systemic brokenness. We want to reach the lost, heal the pain, and restore what's broken. Let me break it down for you. Friends, what is the greatest challenge that South Africa is facing? What do you think? Politics? Corruption in the business sector? Is it maybe a, you know, a, an ill-functioning education system? Is it pressure from the international markets? Friends, those things are absolutely true. But you know what the key, the very center of the greatest sickness in our country is? It's this thing. People do not know their father in heaven. We have a fatherless generation of men and women who do not know in the depth of their hearts the one who created them and loves them. And because of that, people are scrounging around, some of them bitterly rich with everything they want and deeply empty on the inside. Others saying, God, my, my life feels like a waste and I'm bitter and I'm angry because I'm not getting what I want. People are, are running around in the city, jumping into beds and businesses and bottles, hoping that those things will fulfill them, give them identity, give them hope. But they do not know their fathers and therefore they are living in this place of sin and rebellion, of hopelessness. And Jesus says that hope begins when you meet your creator, not in some vague sense of, yeah, I'm sure he's out there somewhere, but when you see for the first time truly in your heart, not just with your mind, but when you are so shifted in your emotion, when you are so taken in by a God who comes to give himself as a substitute for you on a broken cross, something absolutely transforms in your life. We want to see that the lost of our country are reached by the good news of Jesus Christ. Not the good news of religiosity, but the good news of Jesus. But more than that, social pain. Friends, there are thousands of pockets of pain in our city. Thousands. People are hungry in the city of Pretoria with nothing to eat. People are living on the streets with no hope. There's the seconds of their life. It's just counting by and they feel I have nothing to contribute. People are suffering by the thousands, children and young people under sexual and physical abuse. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was sitting in the, in the office of one of the headmasters of our city and he was saying for the umpteenth time over the last 12 months, he had a girl who was punched by her own mother so hard in her face that her whole lip split open. But the parents and the teachers didn't see it because she was wearing her mask for COVID. There are so many pockets of pain in our city. But more than that, there's systemic brokenness. It's not just that you have these moments of pain in the education sphere, but the whole system of education has brokenness in it. Our business sector has brokenness in it. Our governmental structures have, it's got brokenness to its very depth. And here's the summary, friends. Lostness, pain, and brokenness, whose issue is that? Oh, it's the government's issue. It's the business sector's issue. It's education that's not working. I'm not saying no to those things, but I'm saying there's something that's more true. You know whose issue that is? It's the church's issue. It's the people of God saying, God, don't take us out of Babylon. Give us purpose in Babylon. 
If there is lostness in our city, that's my responsibility. If there is pain in my city, that's my responsibility. If there's brokenness in the sector that I work in, that's my responsibility. Do we have a purpose-filled life? Or do we say, God, if I can just make some money, just go on holiday once a year, suck up a bit of air, and then die, I'll be happy. Friends, I'm not saying don't do those things. I'm saying realize that God has called you to so much more. That you would almost like a rock dropped into a pond, realize the ripples of your life can take up exponentially greater impact. God, use my life. Use the skill set, the time, the treasures, the talents that you've given me. God, use maybe my marriage or my singleness. Use my family. Use the business that I'm part of. Use networks of businesses. God, give me platforms that I can further your kingdom. You can do unlimited things through my life if I realize I have purpose more than myself. God, you've called me. But how do we do that? We can only say that, God, I have deep purpose in the season if it's not all about me. Amen? I'm catching you with that one. Many years ago, there was a young adult in Dr. Bloom where we come from, and she came to speak to me. She's a lawyer. And she said, you know what? My life in the season is purposeless. And I said, why? She says, because my boyfriend is living in another city. And I'm so angry about that. God, why did you allow this? All the frustration, all the time, and the energy spent on this. I see all the long distance guys are laughing. But friends, this girl was so upset about this. She said, my life has no purpose because of that. And pastorally, man, my heart was breaking for this girl. But on the inside, I also had this other emotion. I had this, this spiritual discontentment. And I thought, how can any Christian ever say that my life has no purpose, God, because I'm not earning enough. I don't have the right job. I don't have a husband or a wife. I'm in this space. I'm in this city, God. If I, if I were only there, if I were only earning that, if I were only doing what I really want to do, if I didn't have the parents that I have, if I didn't have this husband next to me, if I, if I, if I, if I, if I. I sat there and I thought, wow, I don't have my boyfriend next to me, so my life has no purpose. Friends, that is the mother load of all mistakes. Because wherever you find your feet planted as a Christian, 2,000 years of church history has shown us, whether in concentration camps, in floods or famines, in brokenness, or in absolute flourishing, whether rich or poor, black or white, whether in the suburbs or in the inner city, Christians have for two millennia said, we have deep purpose wherever we find ourselves. But I have to get myself and my needs and my future and my, my everything, I have to get that out of the sense of the picture. It's like in Greek mythology, there's the story of King Midas. Maybe you've heard of the phrase, the Midas touch. And his story was that after a, a good act, Dionysus comes and he says to him, listen, I'm going to gift you with something. What do you want? And he says, I want the ability to touch something and it turns to gold. So what is he saying? My life, my fame, my fortune. And at first, it's beautiful. He's touching everything and it's turning to gold and he's rich and he's influential. And then it turns and it's dark because he wants to embrace his daughter and he grabs her and she turns to gold and dies and this man's life falls apart. Why? Because we believe culture says to us, put yourself at the center of your life. You are the main actor in this movie called you. 
and it's beautiful. And everyone wants to come and see it because it's my dreams and my hopes and my desires. But billions of people have come to the empty place of realizing if I live only for what I want, just another paycheck, God, just more clout, just more followers and likes, God, just more influence, just more money, just more people in a bed next to me. It's an always receding horizon. I never get there. Why? Because we have not been made to be the main actors in our lives. In fact, it crushes us when we are the main actor in our life. But Jesus comes to show us when God becomes and His kingdom becomes and His love for us and His acceptance of us in grace, when that becomes the most weighty middle point of my life, suddenly my life takes up this beautiful dimension where I say, God, yes, I'm single in this season. Yes, I'm in Pretoria in this season. Yes, I'm living in this space where I'm a, I'm a student. Or I feel that God in my high school, or with the resources that I have, with the calling and the gifts and the talents, God, my life has deep purpose because of you. A church that will change the city is a church that is able to inculcate in its people that you have deep purpose. Yes, we gather as a church on a Sunday, but tomorrow morning, we all have the opportunity to say, God, you have called me to this city and this time. What's my mission? What's my purpose? I am going to pursue and pray for the well-being of this city and this country, for when it thrives, I will thrive. Will we survive? Douglas asks. God says, no, you're not going to survive. I want you to thrive as my kingdom thrives in this city and in this country. Amen? Amen. But lastly, he says, not just a purpose. You need a conviction. You need a reason for doing this. You need a conviction so deep in your heart that it's unshakable. And what is that conviction? Look at parts B and D of this verse. He says, Yes, pursue the well-being of the city, but get this in your heart. The city to what? That I, as God, have deported you. I have deported you. You see, I might not always, as the people of God, as the people of Israel might have thought, Lord, this is the worst thing to ever happen to us. God, come and rescue us from. And he says, no, I would rather send you to you are, you know, you're not here. It's almost like when you're playing Monopoly and it's like someone fumbles and they kind of drop a few things on the board. Oh, no, that's where you are now. God is not a fumbling old man who's dropped you in the city of Tswane in 2021. He says, I have purposefully sent you. The Israelites were wrestling with the fact that God says, yes, I'm going to come and bring correction to my people in this season, but I'm not going to rescue them from Babylon to the kingdom. I'm going to bring the kingdom through them to Babylon. I have not been left here. I have been sent here. And so if you are contemplating, I'm just going to immigrate to Finland. Guess what? If God has not said that to you explicitly, you are going to walk straight out of the will of God upon your life. He says, I have not left you here. I have placed you here. Is that the conviction of God upon my life? Yes, God, with the good and the bad and the ugly of South Africa in 2021. And I don't need to remind you, read two minutes of any newspaper and you're like, Woo, there's, a, there's a lot going on there. And yet God says, you in Babylon, hear me now. I am powerful enough, wise enough to know that you are not left there. You are sent there. 
It's all about perspective. Is my life being wasted here? Or is my life a missional capsule for the kingdom of God? Yeah, it's all about perspective. There's this old story, not sure how true it is, but it's often told of NASA, you know, the American Space Exploration Program. And they do this HR exercise. And they bring two men. They're both working side by side on the fuselage of this massive rocket ship. And they just, every day, it's just the nuts and bolts, just turning them in. That's their, literally their eight to five. And they ask the one guy in this HR exercise in the interview, tell us about your job. And this man's face just turns like he's been baptized in, in prune juice. And he's like, oh, my job, it's mind-numbing, it's soul-sucking. I sit there every day, and it's nuts and bolts, and it's boring, and it feels like I'm just losing you know, every fiber of my creativity. It sucks. What else do you want to know? A couple of minutes later, interview with the second guy, works right next to him, and they say, tell us about your job. And this man's face lights up like this. And he says, my job is to enable the human race to explore the far reaches of space and time. What's the difference? They do exactly the same job, exactly in the same place, right next to one another. But the perspective that the one has about their worth and their calling, about the fact that they have been sent, it makes all the difference. Is your life a place for God to say, in this country, in this city, in this time, God, you have powerfully called me to bring your kingdom. Wherever I set my foot down, there is truth and grace and justice about to break in. With your gifting and your calling, with your marriage or your singleness, where, where you live today, not what could be, but what is, is there the conviction that where my feet is planted, the Holy Spirit is there. The kingdom is about to be there. Jesus did not say, guys, I'm starting a religious program. Sign up. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's close. It's so close, in fact, you can touch it. So repent, turn to me in allegiance and faith and join me in this mission. But to do that, friends, I think we will have to change. We will have to change our perspective about something. You know what that is? It's the gospel. You're like, what? The, how, does, how does that help? Friends, let me tell you, so many of us Christians, we are living on 2% of what the good news is. And so many people look from the outside into the Christian faith and like, that's the 2% that I see. And what is that 2% good news that we carry? Well, we're a bunch of bad oaks, but there was a good oak called Jesus and he died on the cross and now we can go to heaven. That's the story. That's the good news that we're charging the enemy with. Bad oaks, good oak and heaven. That's it. And my question is, is that the good news? Is, how does that affect your life and your marriage and your sexuality and your future and your work? It doesn't. We're waiting on the spiritual bus stop to go to the better place with the wings of the, you know, the baby angels. And we're just going to hang around and I guess sing songs like forever. Is that good news? She's, I don't think so. I think there's a little bit of truth to that, but it's like missing 98% of the story. And I want to tell you that the grip that you have on the depth of the gospel will enable your life to go to the heights of the impact of the gospel that God has for you. Let me give you just one or two extra versions, not versions, dimensions to what the good news is all about. One extra dimension is the fact that Jesus has defeated both sin, Satan, and death on the cross for you. So listen to what that means. It means you do not have to be afraid of anything in this country. 
You do not have to fear that you will be wasting your life or your time or your money pursuing the goodness of God. God, my neighbor, look at what he owns and what he's doing. And now I'm spending my time here. That's a scarcity mindset, seeing this life as all that there is. But if I realize God has defeated the enemy, he has defeated sin, Satan, and death, it means I can dream big with my life. I can dream big with the impact that God is going to to bring through me. And the worst thing that can happen in this country to you is death. And Paul says, you know what? To live as Christ and to die, that's gain for the Christian. Because if I die in this country fighting for the kingdom, giving my life to God, in the very next moment of my existence, I will be in perfect presence of my loving Father in the new heavens and new earth forever. That's the good news. The good news also says that the Holy Spirit, the very presence and power of God has been promised to His children. So that means that I have the creative uh, energy of God flowing through my spiritual veins. So friends, if there is an issue in your townhouse complex, then guess what? Ask the Holy Spirit, what is the solution? And you take ownership of it. If there is an issue in your business that's needing a solution, ask the Holy Spirit, give me the wisdom and take ownership of that. Dads, if like me, you wrestle, how do I raise my kids with an understanding of their value in Christ? Ask the Holy Spirit to give you the creativity and the wisdom and the focus and the compassion and you take ownership of it. Friends, our city, it's our issue. Our country is our issue. Don't wait for the politicians to do this for you because you are a pastor of the city. Can I say that to you? You are a pastor in the city. You're a pastor of your commune. You're a pastor of your school. You're a pastor of the street you live in. You're a pastor of your family. You're a pastor in the marriage you find yourself in. You are a pastor of the city with the Spirit's power and presence in you. And on and on we could go. Let me give just one last one. The gospel also says that God has not only adopted you as a son and daughter, but he has commissioned you. And so that means that you have absolutely nothing to fear when it comes to what could happen in this country. God, would it affect my identity? If I get this vaccine, God, if this happens, if the economy collapses, if this party wins and that one loses, if I go left or right, God, what about my life and my security? And God says, listen to me, you cannot move a millimeter in front of me because it's not about what you've done, but what I have done on your behalf. So don't enter into this city tomorrow morning with a timid, unsure posture. You can enter into it knowing that your Father loves you, that the Son has given His life for you, and that the Spirit empowers you. We take ownership. I just want to end and just ask once again. Douglas Foster says, could the idea of a rainbow people creating a rainbow nation, could they survive the pressure? And I hear the Spirit speaking through Jeremiah, and he says, survive, survive. I have so much more for my people than simply surviving. I have called them to be thriving outposts, ambassadors, representatives of my kingdom 
on this earth. No, I will not take you out of Babylon. I will do you much better. I will bring my kingdom to your Babylon for my glory and for the good of the people around you. That's Heritage Day. That's Heritage Day. Let's pray together. Maybe the worship team can join me. Jesus, I pray this morning for, for every heart, for every house. I pray for every single married, every engaged. I pray for every businessman. God, I pray for every person who's looking for a job. God, I pray that we would absolutely be captured in our hearts by a vision of a kingdom coming to this city and this country one step at a time, one conversation at a time. And I pray that every single person here would be so convinced of who Jesus is that they would see themselves as not part of the problem, but part of the solution. May we be taken in once again just by the beauty of the rich spiritual heritage waiting in the soil of this continent and this country. We pray that in Jesus' name.